0: Hello and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. As you know, uh, we are in a building campaign called Onward for Your Kingdom. This is week something out of something. I've lost track. Um, six, seven out of ten, something like that. Anyway, here's what I know. Next week is when we, uh, we begin the giving period in the church. So what we've been doing is we've been talking about um, the mission and vision of our church. We've been talking about um, moving onward for the kingdom of God. Um, and we have been building up to uh, a three-week giving period. As I said last week, the experts told us to have one great giving crescendo. We don't like that. That feels icky. That feels manipulative. And so what we want to do instead is just have a three-week period. And during that period, we encourage you guys to give. So if you haven't already picked up a pledge card, they are, they're around. Um, and it should be available on your way out as well. And so next week will be the first of three weeks. Uh, for you to turn in those pledge cards. We're asking people to give up front as they're able and to give monthly and to do this as the Lord leads. So um, again, I don't want you to give what I can convince you to give. I want you to give what the Lord leads you To give, we're so excited about the upcoming move. If you're new here, we're headed about a mile down the street to a much larger facility. As you know, we're in three services now. Um, The questions that I've I've gotten the most here lately, I just want to address them really quickly. Some folks have said, "Well, what about this three-year pledge? That's that's a long time. A lot can happen in three years. People lose their jobs, people move, circumstances change." Um, And so, I just want to say, first of all, I love the spirit of that question because what's underneath that is, if I'm going to make a commitment, I want to make sure I can be faithful to it, and I'm not going to let the church down in the process, so I I just love the heart behind that question, so good job by you if you have been wondering, and what we would encourage you to do is to know that we've sort of, we sort of understand that there's, that circumstances will shift over the course of time, and if you feel led to give a monthly pledge, I want to encourage you to go ahead and do that. We know that circumstances will change, and so we've got a whole collections department ready, that was a joke. (laughs) We're not going to do any of that nonsense. Of course, we're not going to do anything close to that. Um, as circumstances change, we understand. And then as we move and are able to grow, we have space to grow, we're going to invite more people as they come into the church to join us in uh, this campaign, and, and we'll be able to fill any gaps as they arise. That's, that's our expectation for that. So I want to encourage you to kind of be brave um, on that front. Um, we uh, Another question that I get, and I love the heart behind this one, which is, hey, are we still going to help people? Like, we're in a campaign, and buildings tend to take over things, and I, I, what I love about this church is that we help people in urgent need all the time. Are we still going to do that? The answer is yes, we are still going to do that. Yes, we are still doing that. Uh, I think just uh, last week, two weeks ago, we put... Uh, an engine in somebody's car, several thousand dollars. We, when we find people in urgent need, we are going to respond. You give for those reasons. We are continuing to and will always continue to do those things. Another question is, are we still going to do must-have gifts? Yes, we're still going to do must-have gifts. Do we have another location of our church? Yes, we do. Did we ask the other location to really step it up for must-have gifts? Yes, we did. They were very excited to say yes, so Springbrook, we love that community. They're going to they're gonna jump in and um, help us out, but we are still going to have the opportunity to give, to respond to urgent needs. That's not going to go away. So anyway, the first of three giving weeks starts next week. And you should know uh, we are well positioned as a church to do this. Um, This is not not an over-the-top risk or anything uh, unwise for us, but this is still a huge leap for us as a church it's a big big moment so we're relying on a huge response from our church family again as the Lord leads I trust that he will lead and I trust that out of that there's going to be more and that more than enough okay so next week that begins grab a pledge card on your way out if you don't already have one let me say a prayer now and we'll get into the message King Jesus we love you so much it is good to be with you Lord, make us aware right now, if we aren't already, of your presence in this place. And as we look to your word, God, would you condition our hearts that we'd be ready to receive from you, to hear what you have for us, Lord. Thank you, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so for the last uh, few weeks of this Onward campaign, uh, we're going to be talking about, I'm going to be talking about uh, the vision and the mission of our church. Really, really big picture stuff. Um, And in order for us to do that, to talk about where we're going, Uh, what we're going to have to do is is pick up a conversation we've had quite a bit lately, uh, a very candid conversation that we've been having about what is happening in our broader culture. There's been major shifts in societies. It seems very wise for us to stop and take assessments of what's happening, recognize what's going on, okay? And so what that means is uh, we're going to be, we're going to be kind of looking around and taking an honest stock of where we are in our culture and the challenges of this very weird (laughs) Very intense sort of cultural moment that we find ourselves in. So we're going to be doing that. Um, and along the way, we're going to be uh, drawing again and again. Week after week, we're going to be going back to 1 Thessalonians. Very interesting. I, I think Paul's writing to that church is especially applicable to us. And we're going to get to that, uh, to First Thessalonians today, a little bit toward the end. We usually are at the text from the beginning. We've got a lot of foundation to lay this week, so text more toward the end. Um, <clears throat> before we get going here, I need to do a quick brush up on vocabulary. If you were around for the Uprising series that we did um, uh, a few months ago, then you're probably tired of hearing me give you this definition and making you tell me that you know what this word means. But there are new folks around as well, so we're going to do it once again. The word for the day is Christendom. Christendom, and uh, quickly, Christendom, hear this, is not Christianity. Christendom is the culture that arises within a context where Christianity is the dominant religion. So a culture develops around Christianity, and when that culture sort of ascends to a cultural throne, that's called Christendom. So Christendom can be good, and Christendom can be bad, it can be defiled, it can, be, it can get messy, okay? Um, but a Christendom society is a culture in which the culture of Christianity has sort of made its way to the top of society. Here's where you guys got to give me some feedback. You guys with me, Christendom? okay, cool, I got yeses, I got nods, I got some thumbs up. I take all of that. That's really good. Now, church attendance um, is not the only indicator that we look to, but it's an awfully clear one. And church attendance, as a percentage of the population, peaked in the United States in the 1950s. Since then, it has been in a slow decline. Um, The 1960s, as you know, some of you have read of it, some of you remember it. But the 1960s was a really tumultuous decade. Uh, there were just waves of crises, just one after the other. There was a cultural revolution. There was a sexual revolution. There was an ugly, vicious war over civil rights. There was the Vietnam conflict. It was just—it was—it was just a tough go all around. In the midst of all that upheaval. Uh, sociologists broadly, they, they agree, that actually brought about the collapse of Christendom, and we all know what that word means, not Christianity, but the culture around it, the collapse of Christendom in the United States in the 60s. Um, and uh, especially that happened in the Northeast, in the Northwest, and in more traditionally liberal and progressive cities, okay? But not so much here in the Southeast, right? In fact, that's why some of you live here now. Good call, Okay. <laughs> This is when our part of the world became widely known as the Bible Belt because um, here Christendom held strong even as it broke loose in other places. So there's a reaction to this, of course. In the 1970s, people started leaving the church. And we saw the church reacting and trying new things. Like, hey, this isn't working quite the way it was before. Let's try some new things. And so the conclusion was largely this. And this is, I understand as I say this, this is way too reductive. Painting with broad strokes. But best I can tell, this is the essence of what happened. Church folks saw the decline, saw a need for change, And they decided, correctly, that the problem's not Jesus. The problem's not the message. The problem isn't the Bible. Good call. The problem, they decided, however, was the church just isn't cool enough, man. Like, it's just not cool anymore. And and the sort of sweeping mentality was, okay, enough of the pews and the hymnals and the boring sermons. We need to make church relevant. The message isn't the problem. The Bible isn't the problem. Jesus, Jesus is great. Jesus is great. He just needs better PR, right? He just needs a better marketing campaign. He needs an extreme makeover, all right? So that was the conclusion. And so this came, and it came in waves as the culture shifted. So the first wave of this was called the Jesus People Movement. Maybe you're familiar with that. Maybe you were a part of it. I don't know. Uh, But this is when a whole bunch of like anti-establishment hippies um, who believed that the believed the Bible was true, believed what the Bible said about the holy spirit 's power, and then thought i 'll be darn if that 's true let 's go out and do it." They went out and did it, and it worked and their idea was that we should take the Bible more seriously, not less more seriously, but we should like lighten up about all the other stuff, all the sort of weird non-biblical rules that got added on, that got tacked on over time. We need to lighten up about all of that stuff. So they said, no, you don't have to wear a suit or a dress unless you want to. You can play drums and a guitar if you want to. You don't need hymnals and steeples if you don't have them. Let's just lean into the Bible and relax about everything else because Jesus was cool and he was poor and he wore sandals and he hung out with his friends a lot. And that sounds great to a bunch of hippies. Right? Listen. I like this one a lot. Okay? <laughs> this, is, this is when the vineyard was born. It was out of the energy of uh, the Jesus People movement. And it was awesome. But uh, despite some really exciting peaks along the way, in spite of that, the church in the United States continued shrinking. And then, as it does, culture shifted. Hippie culture kind of fizzled out. You know? And then... All those baby boomers went from being anti-corporate revolutionaries to being the leaders of a great corporate expansion. You remember that unexpected turn? And then the church went with them. And that gave rise to what's called the megachurch movement. The megachurch movement, the hippies looked around and they thought, hey, you know what? I'm not a hippie anymore. And I need to be discipled. And I have kids now. And we have to take care of our kids. Who's going to take care of our kids? Who's going to care for them? And, and they also decided being carefree and poor doesn't sound so great anymore. So they traded in their hoodies and their sandals for loafers and polos and dockers. Okay. And they transformed the church into something different, something slick, something marketable. A place where you could learn about Jesus you could also network for your business. We take care of your kids. Church became shiny and strategically positioned for like, mass market appeal. And there's a lot of energy in it. And it, like, it really seemed to be working. And in many ways, it really did work. And yet, the decline continued. After that, um, the Gen Xers came along. Bless their hearts. The Gen Xers came along. And they decided, you know what? Slick church is never going to work for their grungy friends. There's nothing punk rock about shiny church. That's what they decided. And so fortunately, they made the same conclusion as the one who had gone before them, which is great. Jesus isn't the problem. Neither is the message. The Bible isn't the problem. The problem is the corporate machine. That's not Jesus. So we're going to be authentic, and we're going to be gritty, and we're going to be all ancient future. And uh, we're going to meet in old warehouses, right? And uh, this was, if, if, if uh, you're familiar with this, this was the, uh, this is the we've got that too phase of the church. So whatever happened in society, broader culture, we're like, yeah, we got one of those too, you know? You got Starbucks, we got like Jehovah Java or whatever we called it. Um, you've got Kiss, we've got Petra, all right? You got Lollapalooza, we've got One Day. Switchfoot just went Platinum. Delilah's playing Michael W. Smith. Casey Kasem just said that Jesus Freak hit the top five. Let's go. We are cool. See, Jesus is cool, and we're keeping up. But there were some very cool moments, but for the most part, we weren't keeping up, and we were mostly playing catch-up, and that didn't last very long either, and it kind of worked, but not really, and then the church continued to slowly decline, and then the millennials came along, and they brought us, and I have to admit, I actually I actually did my part in uh, helping this one along. Um, I'm just barely a millennial, by the way. I'm just right on the line. I'm an elder millennial, okay? Um, and the millennials brought us hipster church. More of you can remember these, right? Skinny jeans and ironic T-shirts, candles, church in the round, coffee bars, flat whites, craft beers, theology on tap. The occasional cuss word, just to show that we're not legalistic, some tattoos to show we have a past. I don't have any, or I'd show them. Um, and and don't tell any, this is the secret. so also a return to a whole bunch of the stuff that the boomers did, because that stuff was really, really smart, but we're not corporate, and don't you dare say so. All right? So a little bit of that. And once again, it moved the needle, the needle a bit, but ultimately didn't work. Church continued to decline, so that was the odds. That was most of the 2010s. But then, about six or seven years ago, y'all remember then, things started to shift like dramatically. No more just sort of waves of cultural trends as they have traditionally gone. Something really dramatic started to happen. Um, Globalization, and, and globalization is just the world getting smaller. We're more connected. We've become more of a global environment. Globalization Um, because of our dramatically increasing awareness of other cultures and realities, began speeding up the pace of change. That's been happening for decades, but suddenly that went into warp speed. And there was a lot of social unrest um, that exposed deep systemic problems. Um, It exposed racial inequalities. Um, The political climate shifted. Like, it shifted, and suddenly... It went from a bit icky to full-on ugly, like nasty. Y'all remember? And there was a gross election cycle. It was gross. And then while this is going on, we have um, the now all-the-time-everywhere-ness of social media turned out to be this just profound, radical accelerant. And man, did it fan the flames. It fanned the flames. It was this, it was this network through which hatred and outrage And vitriol could spread so rapidly, and we quickly went from flames of anger here and there to a full-blown culture of outrage. Then there were more social issues. There was a civil war over uh, over sexual ethics. There was another gross election cycle. Identity politics made it all even more personal. The outrage, outrage grew all the more. And then... Just as the whole thing, I'm looking around going, man, it feels pretty shaky right now. Like this is a tough spot. It's looking pretty shaky. And then a global pandemic came along. And it's funny, there were optimists running around saying, hey, there's hope in this. There's hope in this. We're, we're divided right now what we might do, we might all rally around a common enemy, you know, like the U.S. did in World War II. We'll just rally around a common enemy, except it's a global enemy now. Maybe we'll stop fighting each other and fight together against this disease. Nope, that is not what happened. Instead, the opposite happened. And all of those issues that I thought, personally, had come pretty close to their peaks, then they got really cranked up. And not incrementally, guys, I mean like by orders of magnitude. I don't have to explain to you, you were there. And the outcome was a pace of change in our culture that I did not think was even remotely possible. And so if we can pull the camera back and gain a little bit of perspective over the last few years, think about this, guys. It was the Spanish flu of 1918. It was the fear and the anger of World War II. It was the social rest, unrest, pardon me, of the 1960s. All at the same time, and with social media as the ultimate tool to fan the flames. And we're only beginning to see the fallout from this. We're only beginning. I just want to point out something, guys, that ain't normal. What we've experienced over the last few years is historically unprecedented, it's not normal. And so maybe you could take a moment to be kind to yourself if you're not exactly crushing it right now. You might be looking around like a lot of people, like millions and millions of people are doing and going, I don't remember being this anxious. I don't remember my fuse being this short. I don't remember feeling so easily overwhelmed. I've never been a depressed person, but now I feel depressed. This is happening the world over. And all I can say to that is, yeah, of course, The ground has been shifting beneath our feet. You can be the most balanced person and still feel thrown off balance by the chaos of the last few years. So what's the result of that? (laughs) Like, like what are we dealing with right now? Where are we? Where are we? So let me put it this way. I think there's truth in this. Welcome to 2060. 2060. Welcome to 2060. You might say, ah, it's 2022, Aaron. I know, it's also kind of 2060. Here's what I mean. Socially, culturally. The trends in our society that were ongoing, they were already picking up speed, they got a massive two-handed shove from a tsunami of change, and we just lived the last few years at 10x speed, So yeah, you're tired and you're a little anxious and you're a little on edge, I get it. Welcome to 2060. And I'll say this, I think, this is Aaron's two cents, take it or leave it. I think the cultural change, however, has been possibly more dramatic here in the Bible Belt than it has been anywhere else. And you might say, well, why, why would that be? Here's why. Because in the process of that rapid change, the chaos of the last few years, Christendom, which had held here, it finally collapsed here too. So what that means is, good old Bible Belt folks like us, people who are used to being, frankly, used to being in the majority, who are used to being given the benefit of the doubt, who are used to being thought of Generally, as having the high moral ground, are now suddenly looked at with suspicion rather than trust, and as having the moral low ground. And it feels like that happened overnight, because it kind of did happen overnight. So, once again, welcome to 2060. Now, we're going to spend the next few weeks unpacking what this means for us, what this means for the church, what it means for our church. <laughs> and that third part, what it means for our church, I cannot wait to get to that part. I cannot wait to get to the, Keep coming back because here's the thing. I, God has positioned this church, hear me, to be the beautiful exception. In the middle of all this angst, in the middle of all this fear. A light shining in the darkness, a beautiful exception. We are going to be an anchor of kindness and reasonableness and decency. Guys, just let folks turn on each other all they want. We're going to love our neighbors. And, I can't believe you didn't say amen. And, I'll give you, this one's harder. And we're going to love our enemies too. I I I am convinced that this church... And just put it so bluntly, I think we're going to change this town simply by not being jerks, by not being reactive or petty or angry and insisting upon the love and the kindness of God. Love conquers all, remember? It conquers all. And there's just, I can't, I can't wait to unpack, I wasn't, I'm still saying all the things I, was, I had to wait to say and then they just came out. But there's no coincidence in this, guys. God has put this people in this place for this moment. In this town, to be a beautiful exception to all of the angst and vitriol that's happening all around us. All right, I want to give you guys a, a rough sketch of what I see as the, the major trends that are happening in the church right now and try to go through these quickly. Um, I'm seeing four big trends. Two of them I would say are good, and two of them I would say are bad. And I guess you guys, again, you can kind of take or leave any of it. These are my observations. Um, the first one, that I'm seeing is uh, the death of cultural Christianity uh, or of nominalism. So um, cultural Christianity is when you have a form of godliness, like you're kind of on board, but you're, you're choosing to be Christian essentially because that's the culturally accepted thing to do. It's a go along to get along type of mentality. It's like, well, I'm certainly not anything else, and people seem to be mostly on board with that, and people tend to say nice things about Christians on balance, and so I'm going to go with the flow. Cultural Christianity. Nominalism is what comes out of cultural Christianity, where you're you're kind of in, you're kind of out. I mean, you're not out, but, you know, this isn't like defining your days. It's not shaping how you live your life, all right? It's just something that you've sort of, yeah, I'm on board for. That's nominalism. Guys, (laughs) that doesn't make any sense anymore, all right, in, in a well-instantiated Christendom, that makes perfect sense. Of course it does. Yeah, I mean, there's like a stack of benefits that come for that. You go along to get along. Fair enough. But it doesn't make any sense in post-Christendom. So part of the, the, the disruption that we're feeling is anybody who signed up for Jesus because it was the culturally accepted thing to do, they're getting rocked right now. That's shaking things all the way to their core. Or folks signed up for Christianity because they, have a, they just have one of those desires. They just want to be thought of as good or nice or sweet. It's like, well, this is the group of people that people think are nice. All right? And then now, suddenly, by virtue of being in what you thought was the nice group, some people are really mad at you. Or at least there's the potential for it. You see it on the horizon. And now those folks are freaking out too. Here's what I would say, and this might surprise you. This is good. This is a good thing. Here's why. Let me level with you. I love you. If we are in this thing for something other than allegiance to Jesus, it's best we know that. It's best we know that. And then we need to decide whether or not we're going to, well, fill in your own local colloquialism for how we might finish that sentence. Um, whether or not we're really on board for this. Okay. That's the first one. And number two. Um, here's what happens. In times of upheaval, this is just basic anthropology. This is just how human beings work in this world. When there is upheaval, when there is unrest, authorities and institutions get questioned, like clockwork, okay? Um, And often because they're not doing what they need to do, okay? So this always happens, like clockwork. And here's what's happening in our context increasingly. The authority of the Bible and the institution of the church, there are no exceptions to this, um... And they're being questioned. And in years past, remember we talked about these trends that have sort of blown through the church? People have said, hey, the problem's not Jesus. The problem's not the message. The problem's not the Bible. The problem is fill in the blank. But now there's a growing subset of people who go, you know what? Maybe the problem is Jesus. Maybe it is the message. Maybe it is, increasingly we're hearing this, maybe maybe it's the Bible. Maybe that's the problem. And I'll be very clear, this is bad. This is bad. Not because, don't mishear me on this, not because the church or the Bible should not be scrutinized. They should be scrutinized. I love what Anna Kitko says. Truth never runs from scrutiny. So yeah, they should be scrutinized. But deciding to throw out scripture is the wrong conclusion. That's what makes this bad. Number three. Over the years, the church has been accused of being uh, colonizers. Maybe you've heard some of that language. In some cases, in some spots, Um, That's a fair critique. But what I see happening increasingly is that the church is being colonized. And specifically, the church is being colonized by the political process. And churches are, listen, they're becoming outposts for the political left and outposts for the political right. And it's speeding up. It's not slowing down. All right? We got to keep coming to this because it keeps happening. More and more, liberal churches are moving away from a biblical agenda that's based around justice and mercy, and instead they're getting just subsumed by the agenda of the political left, the good and the bad, and all that comes with it. And on the conservative side, folks are moving from um, megachurch to magachurch. Did you guys catch it? It was a little bit of a pun. I thought it was clever. Okay. I know it's uncomfortable. And the message of Jesus increasingly becomes the message of the political right. The good stuff and the bad stuff. This is bad. This is bad. You may love your political party. That's great. I want you to love your political party. And its agenda, great. To the extent that it's biblical, sign up for its agenda. That's great. So be it. But Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the one renewing all things, not any political party. And his agenda, I hope you're ready for an amen, his agenda must never take a backseat to anything. Amen. All right, that's number three. Number four. Number four is, and I, I, think this is I think this is what's going on. Uh, the trends that I talked about in the life of the church, the sort of let's follow culture approach to thing, I think that's out. And here's why. Um, I think it's because we're so now globalized and so pluralistic There's just so, there's so many complexities, so many layers, so many trends, frankly, happening at the same time that I'm not sure the the conditions are really there for one big trend to sort of get enough momentum in order for it to be worth it for the church or anybody else to sort of follow along in those trends. I just think a lot of them are happening all at once. So like the great trend of hippie culture and how, you know, all of sort of a whole generation was caught up in that. I'm not sure that that's happening again um, because with them splattered, here's what I mean, um, I read an article about this not long ago, I thought it was really funny, uh, the, the, the the title got my attention, it said all jeans are in style now, and it just went through how every cut of jean, it's like, yeah, you can wear that, you can wear that, you can wear that, it's all cool, it doesn't matter, you can wear whatever you want, some of you are relieved, you're like, I'm gonna blow some dust off of some old, you know, bell bottoms or whatever, um, great, it's all cool, apparently, all right, why? Because there's no great trend that's taking over things like genes or whatever. Um, and the mantra of the emerging generation is man, just be yourself. Um, which I actually think is advice the church should take. So I think this is good. Enough of the culture chasing, all right? We have an identity, we should just be ourselves. Which brings us finally to 1 Thessalonians, all right? Um, I see some overlap in the circumstances of the church at Thessalonica, which is where that name come from, um, and what we are increasingly moving into. And it's some overlap. It's different circumstances but similar challenges. Um, And the church at Thessalonica was just thriving. They were a thriving church um, in a tough context. What they did work. It worked well. So in that, I think their example speaks to all four of these trends. So let's quickly go back through these four trends and see what Paul's letter to the Thessalonians would say about that. The first one is the death of cultural Christianity and nominalism. 1 Thessalonians chapter 6 says this, You yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit here's the point they were born into persecution from day one you know what that means at the church of Thessalonica there was no nominalism there was nobody sort of peering in from the fringe why would anybody choose to be persecuted for something they weren't really committed to There's no nominalism. And as a result, they were unified. They were bold. They were ready to follow Jesus' man no matter what. Now, we're not there. We're not in severe persecution. Um, I, I don't think we're being, I think probably on balance here in East Tennessee, I think on balance we're probably still somewhat advantaged by our faith socially and culturally for now. But the outline is there. And you don't have to squint too hard to see it at a time for that more difficult things may be coming. So it is time for us to make sure we know what we're in this for, all right? Number two, the authority of the message and particularly of the Bible being questioned. 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13. This is why we constantly thank God because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is the word of God which also works effectively in you who believe. Paul's really explicit about this. What works effectively is anchoring in the authority and the truth of the message. Number three, church being colonized by politics. For this one, we're going to actually look to the book of Acts chapter 17. This is the story of how the church of Thessalonica got started. Okay, Acts chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 4. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. So this is in Thessalonica. This was the, the planting of the church there. But the Jews became jealous. They brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down, may we be accused of the same, by the way, who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So, background here is really important. In that city. It was very unique. A couple hundred thousand people. Very big city in the ancient world. And they operated like a Greek city within the Roman Empire. Very unique. They're the only ones with this setup. They had a senate. They had the freedom to govern themselves. There was almost no Roman intervention. They just didn't mess with them. It was a great setup. All of that, however, was predicated upon a certain stasis being maintained. A stated allegiance to Caesar. And this talk of another king was disruptive. And it threatened a political agenda. So much so that a riot broke out. A riot. But the church refused to capitulate. Jesus was king. And they were going to say anything other than that. And they were not about to let God's agenda get hijacked by a political one. Out of that strength. They did beautiful things. And number four. The end of the let's follow culture trend. Remember, again, the good advice I think that we're getting from the young emerging people in our society, um, which is just be yourself. And amen to that. Amen to that. Look, I want to be clear. It's good to be relevant. We're always going to try to be as relevant as we can possibly be to the church for sure. But that's not going to to take primacy ever over the way of Jesus. So if believing the Bible's true becomes irrelevant, then well, I guess we'll just have to be relevant. Get irrelevant, because the Bible is omni-relevant. I like that word. Okay, I just came off the, off the top there. I think that works. Omni-relevant, the Word of God is, and we're gonna anchor in that. So it's fine to be relevant. We're not gonna compromise to that end, is what I'm saying. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, we recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, your endurance, Inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. Church kids in the room, Sunday school rats, do you see the holy triad there? Do you see faith, hope, and love? That's who we are. These three remain, and these three define us. So let's do what he said. Let's let's work, but not because we're afraid, um, or not because we're religious, not because we're trying to fit in. Let's work because we have faith in the plan of God, just as the text says. Let's make sure our labor is motivated by love and not by anything less than that. And everything is less than that. Let's make sure our labor is motivated by love, as the text says. And again, let's endure no matter what comes our way, because our hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ, just as the text says. Okay, so uh, David or EJ, some musician coming up our way. I'm going to wrap this thing up. I just want to say this This as a bit of a tease to the coming weeks, and then also I don't want to leave you in a tough spot. (laughs) If you kind of take stock in this whole message and go, that sounds a little doom and gloom. Hey, look, we're going to be honest about what we're facing, all right? But I want to be very, very clear. Crisis precedes renewal. Think about it. Let it settle in. It's true. Historically, it's true. Biblically, it's unassailable. Crisis precedes renewal. Where sin abounds, grace all the more. God is renewing all things. He has not fallen off of his throne because we had a shift in what was normal. And God is established, has been, listen, for 18 years, God has been establishing this church. Putting these people in these seats, and the people in the next service in those seats, in the next service, for such a time as this. The stars shine brightest in the darkest of nights, right? It's absolutely the reality that we're moving into. I'm convinced that's why God's, frankly, made a building available to us so we'll have some room to grow. Because this vitriol, the angst, the fear that is just overflowing this system that is the United States, it's not tenable. We can't live here. And eventually, people are going to be completely overcome and just done, just done with that, the outrage and the chaos, and they're going to look around and say, all right, for all these years of just nonsense, who has been kind, and who has been loving, and who has been gracious, and who has stayed out of the ridiculous, fear-filled chaos, and has been a calm and steadying source of love throughout And they're going to look around and they're going to see some people from the vineyard. And we're working really hard to get some more seats available because it's coming. It's coming.